Jeremy was born with a twisted body, a slow mind and a chronic illness that had been slowly killing him all his young life. Still, his parents had tried to give him as normal a life as possible and had sent him to St. Teresa's Elementary School. At the age of 12, Jeremy was still only in second grade, seemingly unable to learn. His teacher, Doris Miller, often became exasperated with him. He would squirm in his seat, drool, and make grunting noises. At other times, he spoke clearly and distinctly as if a spot of light had penetrated the darkness of his brain. His teacher tried hard to ignore Jeremy's noises and his blank stares. Then one day, he limped to her desk, dragging his bad leg behind him. I love you, Miss Miller, he exclaimed, loudly enough for the whole class to hear. The other children snickered, and Doris's face turned red. She stammered, why, why, that's very nice, Jeremy. Now please take your seat. Spring came, and the children talked excitedly about the coming of Easter. Doris told them the story of Jesus, and then the emphasis to the idea of new life springing forth she gave each of the children a large plastic egg. Now, she said to them, I want you to take this home and bring it back tomorrow with something inside that shows new life. Do you understand? Yes, Miss Miller. The children responded enthusiastically, all except for Jeremy. He just listened intently. His eyes never left her face. He did not even make his usual noises. Had he understood what she had said about Jesus' death and resurrection? Did he understand the assignment? The next morning, 19 children came to school, laughing and talking as they placed their eggs in the large wicker basket on Miss Miller's desk. After they completed their math lesson, it was time to open the eggs. In the first egg, Doris found a flower. Oh, yes. A flower is certainly a sign of new life, she said. When plants peek through the ground, we know that spring is here. A small girl in the first row waved her arms. That's my egg, Miss Miller, she called out. The next egg contained a plastic butterfly, which looked very real. Doris held it up. We all know that a caterpillar changes and turns into a beautiful butterfly. Yes, that is new life, too. Little Judy smiled proudly and said, Miss Miller, that one's mine. Then Doris opened the third egg. She gasped. The egg was empty. Surely it must be Jeremy's, she thought. And, of course, he did not understand her instructions. Because she did not want to embarrass him, she quietly set the egg aside and reached for another. Suddenly, Jeremy spoke up. Miss Miller, aren't you going to talk about my egg? Flustered, Doris replied, but Jeremy, your egg is empty. He looked into her eyes and said softly, yes, but Jesus' tomb was empty too. Time stopped. When she could speak again, Doris asked him, do you know why the tomb was empty? Oh yes, Jeremy exclaimed, Jesus was killed and put in there. Then his father raised him up. <laughs> the recess bell rang. While the children excitedly ran out to the schoolyard, Doris cried. The cold inside her 
melted completely away. Three months later, Jeremy died. Those who paid their respects at the mortuary were surprised to see 19 eggs on top of his casket, all of them empty. Resurrection Sunday. The greatest day in human history. I always say that without this day, Christmas wouldn't matter. Amen. <clears throat> always looking for a word from God. For what is typically that late Saturday night message. Last night it was only 2.30 when I went to bed. But I found out it's because I really enjoy spending time with Because we know he can give me that Tuesday message after last week. And he's willing. But I like things his way, you know. So through the week... I carry not only the five clipboards for the different work and businesses and everything I have in my truck and appointments, but I I carry one with a blank page. And if I hear something from the Lord, I just make a quick note. And throughout the week, I saw a list of joy, peace, love, atonement, justified. Delegated authority and power, enthronement, resurrection life. And I said, well, that ought to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All of those things are ours because of what Jesus has done. Not only Jesus, but the, the, the determinate counsel. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and they agree, amen. You know, God had a problem and a secret. Would you believe that? We, we know that we have problems, and Jesus even told us in this life, you will have problems, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. (coughs) (coughs) So, not like people. (coughs) This show you won't freak out. I covered my mouth. Not like people have problems and secrets, you know. Our 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 secrets are usually maybe regarding sin. Uh, or the problems, uh, maybe sometimes the consequences we bear up because of the sin or face with or how to cover up the sin and forego the consequences. Am I wrong so far? (laughs) Okay. God's problem was us.
You see, God is a God of justice. The penalty for sin is death. James made it very clear. I think it was James. If you trying to talk to religious folks who thought that their life was good enough and that somehow God was grading on a curve and they were better than all the other Christians that lived around them, so surely they will be fine. That's living under the law. And the Bible says if you're guilty at just one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. And so we all find ourselves in that fallen condition. If you're wise enough to admit that, that's the first step to salvation and repentance of that. Amen. But God is a God of justice. He said it, that the penalty for the sin was death. He cannot lie. The problem is, God is love. And his nature is to forgive and to be merciful, isn't it? So how could he do both? Thus his big secret, Jesus. Jesus was the big secret. The big knockout punch. His secret weapon. The devil never would have believed that like I told you last week, I was making the comparison of Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, I need a companion. I I need someone and God created Eve. Well, I believe that Jesus had the same need for fellowship and communion of family and God made him a bride. He made him us. Amen. And then sin entered in. Corruption entered in to that seed of mankind. And God said, somebody has to die. And I believe Jesus went to him and he said, Father, let it be me. Let it be me. (coughs) Excuse me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. Kind of sums it up for us. Tell me when you got it. And I'll tell you when I do. (laughs) My goodness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, talking to the Father, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Remember I told you, Jesus learned about who he was In the pages of the Old Covenant. 
and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he determined, he set out, he purposed in his heart to fulfill his destiny and to fulfill his Father's will for his life and to accomplish what he had come to do. Turn over to John chapter 20. <clears throat> I, I'm just picking one because uh, I was reminded of uh, Easter messages I've ministered <laughs> like seven or eight years ago. I, was, I happened to run across some of the <laughs> content of that. And it looked like a, a three-year seminary course, uh, the Cliff Notes. <laughs> what I tried to do was make a, it seemed like a great idea at the time. I'm sure <laughs> the people were bewildered, whoever was sitting there at the time. But I made from all the Gospels and all the, and all the Bible uh, a chronological listing of all the events of that day. And, uh, and how beautiful and hectic and chaotic it was, you know, just to try to put people there, you know, and to help them. But man, <laughs> it, was, it was a jumbled mess, really. It was a lot of chaos that day. <clears throat> and John is one of my favorite uh, characters from the Bible. Because I endeavor to be more like John instead of more like Peter. And I admire and respect and love them both very much. And can't wait to meet them. So nothing against Peter. He finished strong. Amen. But John had an easier time of it. Because he came to an earlier revelation of the love that God had for him. And that's what will help each and every one of us if we will just believe. Matter of fact, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved five times in his own gospel. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, actually. <coughs> I just want to read a little bit <clears throat> about Jesus, since this is the day of his, we celebrate his resurrection. I don't like to talk much about the crucifixion on this day. We all know what took place. He was unjustly tried in the middle of the night. Kangaroo court, arrested by a troop of soldiers and corrupt religious men of the day who plotted against him. And they hurried him through some mock trials throughout the night and treated him terribly, brought him before Pontius Pilate early in the morning and Pontius Pilate 
wanted to let him go. He found no guilt in him. I think he was a little bit afraid of him. Matter of fact, his wife had had dreams and she came and told Pilate, don't do anything to this man. And I think he probably was going to let him go. But then the Jews, they used uh, scare tactics. Told him that he called himself a king. And basically, they were threatening Pilate's job and his own health and welfare. If uh, Caesar found out that this man was let go because he was a threat to him, he really... Wasn't here for that. He asked them one last time, Shall I crucify your king? And that sort of solidified it because that was what antagonized them the most. And he offered to release him because on that day of the year, he always did release one person from prison for them and they, they asked for Barabbas instead. They asked for you to be released, for me to be released. The rebellion leader, the murderer, and insurrectionist. And so he did. So they took Jesus away and they crucified him. John was the only one of the disciples there at the foot of the cross, along with Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, a lot of Marys. But while all the other disciples had ran discouraged and condemned like Peter was because of what he had done, just confused and lost, the one that had the revelation of the love of God for him was there spiritual employment at the foot of the cross. And Jesus said, Behold, your son to his mother and vice versa to John. He basically appointed John to watch over and care for his mother for the rest of her life. And he did. She moved in, even though she had other sons. But you know, at the time, those sons were opposed to Jesus. They weren't believers. They did become believers after he was resurrected and James has a book in the Bible, as does Jude, and they were all martyred. So, <clears throat> God doesn't care too much as much about where you've been as where you're going. Amen. Amen. Chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples to the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) That's, That's Peter and John. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where you've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. I like this. But the other disciple outran Peter. John talking about himself. (laughs) 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 And and reached the tomb first. 
And stooping to look in, he didn't have the courage to go in. He saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter following him and you know, Simon, you know, Peter, he barreled right on in there, right? Okay. And then Simon Peter following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, still weeping, this is Mary Magdalene, he had delivered her from seven terrible demons. She loved him very much. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've taken him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, and one gospel says, Go tell the other disciples and Peter. How sweet, how sensitive to include Peter specifically. I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said had said these things to her. Now, I could just go on and on, but <clears throat> there were some, there's everyone, you should read all the accounts. I would, if I were you, I like to read them all during this time, and I have many times in the last couple of weeks. But lots, lots of things were going on that day. And uh, the disciples were still in unbelief. He appeared to them that evening and Jesus rebuked them for not believing. For ten of them anyway. We know that Thomas wasn't there. But he saw him eight days later. And we know what happened then. He, he believed, didn't he? He appeared to a lot of people over the next 40 days. Over 500 men at one time. And he would meet with them. And I love the story about the breakfast on the beach that he had with the disciples. We'll probably talk about that in a week or two to come. But a lot of wonderful things went down in those 40 days. And then he ascended to heaven, having handed over all authority and power for the church to his disciples. To us. They had a lot to say, a lot to tell. He told them, don't. Don't do anything until you receive the promise. So they waited ten more days, and then they were in the upper room, and on the day of Pentecost, on the 50th day, they received the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Then they were ready. 
Matter of fact, on that day, Peter preached a message and 3,000 people got saved, didn't they? We talked about how the fact that that's so interesting because the day the law was given, Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died. Reverse of the curse. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Hebrews 10.14 says, here's a summary of what happened that day. For by one sacrifice... He, that's Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So this is the result of the cross. And you can break it up into two parts. First of all, the work of Calvary of Jesus Christ on the cross provided for every need for every person. For all time and eternity. Secondly, it said for those who are being made holy, being sanctified, set apart and made holy unto God. So the second part is something, the first part is something that's been done. Jesus has finished. He's provided a perfect work. Providing for everything that you will ever, ever need for now and all eternity. The second part is ongoing. We are being sanctified. We are being set apart. We are being made holy. And like I said, it's ongoing. It's progressive. It's dependent upon our appreciation of it and our appropriation of it. Amen. We talk all the time about the fact that we have a part to play. We have a part to play. It's a relationship. God has put all sorts of spiritual laws in place. And he's given us natural laws, examples, and things to go by. Including every seed that's ever been planted in this world as an example of the kingdom of God. And he's given us blessings and, and, and promises. And encouraged us to... Uh, Participate in all of his programs for our benefit, but it's a choice, isn't it? So these things are dependent upon us in large part. Isaiah 53, which is a common passage of scripture that was written some hundreds of years before Jesus. Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah 53 lays out in four parts, in 12 verses, a beautiful depiction of the work of Calvary. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, if we wanted to if we wanted to fill this place up. If I wanted to fill this hall and the next hall and the parking lots and uh, jam up the highways. All I need to do is raise somebody from the dead and then have a healing service today. And advertise that and they would come, wouldn't they? We could provide a huge meal 
You know? Everyone invited. All the fictions, all the works, the best of the best, and lay it out and run an ad on the radio and we'd we'd have big crowds, wouldn't we? <laughs> we could satisfy people's debts. Just come to the Easter service and we're gonna pay off all your debts. And they would come, wouldn't they? Oh man. People that never would have, I don't have time. I would love to come to church. I work most Sundays. I, I just can't get off. There's no way I can get off. Or it's the only day I do have off. And man, I work hard. I need to rest. You hand them a winning lottery ticket. And tell them they have to claim it in Austin on Sunday morning. They'll have a limousine. <laughs> Take. <laughs> we do what we want to do, folks. We do what we want to do. You heard the old adage, you give somebody a fish, they'll eat for a day. You teach them how to fish, they'll never go hungry again. There's some truth to that, isn't there? I could take you to one of the superstores. I love Costco. You know, the dollar stores, I, I like the dollar stores too. I call them the hundred dollar store though. <laughs> because since everything's a dollar, why not get everything? Yeah. And then it's a hundred dollars, but I call Costco the five hundred dollar store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I, I don't really need that many cans of corn, you know, but. <laughs> you never know. It'll be eaten. <laughs> but I could take you to the superstore. You just imagine your favorite one, whatever. It could be a Walmart, it could be a Costco, a Target Supercenter, whatever. They have a lot of stuff, though, don't they? I mean, every department, you know, just about everything you need to live by. I could take you shopping, right? But what? What if I just gave you the key instead? What if I said I owned all of those superstores and I gave you the key and said just go anytime you want and get anything you want? No charge. Would you rather go on the, me have you take you on the shopping spree or would you rather have the key and the authority and access? Oh, yes, me too. My wife, too, I would guarantee. <laughs> you know, let's just get down to the brass tacks here. That sort of thing happens in the kingdom of God all the time, especially in other nations. I know a lot of missionaries and evangelists that... Uh, they, they can't wait to get back out of the country when they're here because it's hard to uh, even do a three-day revival here. It's hard to do an altar call and get somebody saved here. It's hard to fill up a church. I, I, I get calls from ministers every week because I'm the regional advocate for the south half of Texas for Andrews Ministers Association. I had lunch with a 
a great man of God, missionary this week. But there's not a lot. They say it's a lot easier in places where they don't have other options. Well, they're not so blessed and it's not so prosperous because when you don't have any other options, it's a lot easier to look to God. Which we should do first instead of last anyway, but face it, folks. A lot of us go to Google before we go to God. But I would just rather give you the key. God has a spiritual, supernatural store. Who is the key holder? Nobody wants to be embarrassed on Easter about a theological question, so I know if you're thinking Jesus, that's a good answer, but it's not right. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in charge of everything that God has here in this earth for the people of God. He controls it all. He has the key. But the key is shaped like this. The key is the cross of Calvary. You have to consider the cross. This perfect work of the cross. I just read to you that it he settled everything by one sacrifice. Jesus made perfect forever those who are being made holy. People get confused on this. The things of the Spirit can't be discerned by the flesh. People without the Spirit of God, they don't understand the things of God, nor can they. So don't get mad at people who don't know God. You were there once yourself. No, I was. You were saved. You're being saved. You're going to be saved. (laughs) You were saved. You were saved. When you were, when God drew you in and the Holy Ghost baptized you into Christ, you were saved. When Thomas believed, when he saw, and he said, My Lord and my God, he was saved right then. Now, we talk about all the time how, you know, the things that no one wants to take responsibility. I can't help how I think. I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. That's what we're trying to to learn about here. Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer based on the mercies of God. Be renewed. Be renewed by the washing of the water of the word. Be a living sacrifice. 
we have to undo a lot of what's going on in here. In our soulish realm. Our spirits were saved. Sanctified. Sealed. Made holy. And here we have the kingdom of God. The mind of Christ. All the peace, love, and joy we're ever going to need is right here. You don't have to pray until you get a prayer through. reason you bow is because he's right here. (laughs) All the healing power you'll ever need for anything going on in this body is three inches away from the problem you're complaining about. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3. I've ministered on this before, and so I'm not going to labor on this because I want to talk about something else, and I want to let you out here early today. So I'm almost done. But Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3, I told you it's in four parts, 12 verses, and it's beautiful. He warns us, first of all, about the biggest problem in the body of Christ amongst believers. Is He's warning us against unbelief. All sin, basically, is unbelief anyway. Yes, it is. <laughs> and paint it up however we want. Matter of fact, just admitting it is half the battle. Just like they tell in these programs they have around but the same thing with God. All the, all the forgiveness, all the love, all the atonement, all the justification, everything has been provided for. But how, you know, if, we, if, you, if you call something out and somebody goes, no, no, no. I have it happen all the time. I, I, it's like, well, what I'm offering is forgiveness. How can you offer forgiveness? I'm pretty sure in the last pages of the Gospels you'll see a place where Jesus told them just before he ascended, any, any sins you forgive in earth, they're forgiven. He told his disciples that. There's a lot of things that will surprise you about Jesus. If you get to know him better, What I've found, and what a lot of people are coming to find out, is that there are a tremendous amount of Christians, air quotes, because I don't know, who are serving a God of their imagination. I used to say it like this, they love the forgiveness part, But the lordship part, not so much. He's a great guy. I love the fact that he loves me and died for my sins. Yes, I'll take it. But I can't let him tell me what to do. It's my life. And he don't expect me to take this or put up with that. Where did you find that part? Did I say that out loud? He tells me that all the time. (laughs) 
he tells me that all the time. I try to write new scriptures, and then he takes me to the last page of the book. Says, "Anyone adds to this book?" <laughs> oh, sorry, sir, you never said that. That yeah, was not you. That was the gospel of will, and I repent. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm glad I'm not you. You know, I tell you, God is not there with the lightning bolt. That's Zeus. You know, that would be us, most of us, ready to, I'm ready to get some of these folks, you know. But then we go back to Him, and He restores our soul. Amen. Amen. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficult places. The moment you agree with God, it all gets better. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Who has believed what he has heard from us? First thing he says in Isaiah 53, the Holy Spirit Talking about unbelief. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that he would that we would should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was normal, normal, normal in every way. He became just like us. But who has believed the story? That's that's the first thing we need to overcome. We need to overcome. All doubt and unbelief. The second three verses. That I've circled and underlined till I can't hardly read them. But I know them anyway. So it says, surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Holy Spirit is trying to hand over the key to you, to the super center. The supernatural center, okay? Get rid of unbelief. And believe that Jesus bore your griefs. Remember, we don't believe in double jeopardy. We're not doing it. We're not going to deal with the same things that Jesus dealt with on our behalf. We're not going to take the same punishment that He took on our behalf. We're not going to bear the same judgment that He took on our behalf. Otherwise, why did He have to do it? Amen. Amen. Well, I I just know that I, I've done. I deserve. I deserve what I'm. I just well. That's unbelief, folks. I'm not saying there aren't going to be repercussions in this life, but you don't need to be walking around condemned over things that you've already repented of and God has forgiven you for and Jesus paid for on the cross. It makes you powerless as a Christian. That's why it's a big deal. If we want to walk around condemned and and self-pity and self-hatred and bitterness against others and all that, you know. Jesus said, you know, most of the New Testament, most of the epistles, Paul is writing things. He tells us how... The Christian needs to walk. I was like, well, that sounds like the law to me. No. He's writing to all these churches, telling them how to be. And he's always telling them, because it's not about you. 
It's about his reputation. We're kingdom builders. Remember last week's message? We're supposed to be building the kingdom. What did you do yesterday to build the kingdom of God? What did you do to hurt his reputation or to help it? He already saved you. He loves you. You're supposed to be convinced of that. You're supposed to be healed everywhere you hurt. You're supposed to be empowered by the promises of God because you believe them and you have confessed them and you're standing on the promises of God. Amen. Amen. You're supposed to be loved by God and have a revelation like John did that you have been loved and you are loved and you will always be loved and no one can snatch you out of God's hand. And you're supposed to be prospered in every way. And we know after three weeks of me teaching on prosperity and the God of abundance that it's not all about money. Money's just a tool. You know, money comes from the dirt just like everything else that people seek after in this world. Not worth the paper it's written on. It's not paper. It comes from cotton. (laughs) A form of cotton. But it still came out of the dirt. Look up. Gold. That people cherish so much in this life. Came out of the dirt. (laughs) They use it for asphalt in heaven. Surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Aren't you just looking for a little peace? If you were just at total peace, you wouldn't even want for anything. Which is what God says you should be anyway. Don't be seeking after all the things the world is seeking after. I'm your father and I own it all. And I know you need these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Worry is just like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do but it doesn't get you anywhere. (laughs) Here's the problem. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have to admit that. We've all been rebellious. We've all resisted or rejected God's will and God's ways in some part. And all we have to do is turn around. Go the other direction. Go toward God instead of away from Him and say, I agree with you now. And you know, I really don't feel like I do, but I've chosen to. I'm not going to... Every day I'm going to bear my cross. And when I come to that crossroads where I have a choice to really fix this person's wagon and let them know they can't talk to me that way or agree with you, I'm just going to agree with you, God. I'm giving it to you right now. I trust you. And I'm going to feel like I'm losing. I'm going to feel like I've been rejected and I'm going to feel like you let me down and you didn't fight my battle and you didn't take care of me like you said you would because you didn't do it the when I wanted you to and how I wanted you to but even knowing that I'm going to still do it your way because I know that I'm just here for a flicker 
And you know everything. And you see a lot further than I do. You're a lot wiser than I am. And you're better at dealing with... And nothing's missed, by the way. But as long as you've forgiven me of my death row sentence and actually took the sentence for me, then I'm not going to hold anything against anyone else either. Doesn't mean I'm going to say it's okay. Doesn't mean I'm going to trust that person. They're going to have to earn that. That's fair. That's right. You got a crackhead in your family? Don't invite him over to uh, house sit for you while you're on vacation. Use the wisdom of God. Seven through nine. Anyway, the the second part, four through six, all about his substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf. Amen. In a nutshell, he took it by divine appointment. It was God's plan. It was his plan. He agreed to it. He wanted to do it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, rejecting its shame because he saw you in his future. He saw his father. He saw the angels. And he saw he was going home. And he was going to have accomplished everything he set out to do. Thwarting all the efforts of the enemy. To destroy all of us. He saw the victory ahead of him. And so because of that. He took it. He took it. And he took it. And he took it. Forgive them father. They know not what they do. Verses 7 through 9, all about his trial and his treatment that he just went through. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken by the transgression of my people. And then the last, uh, and they made his grave with the wicked, sorry, and with a rich man in his death. And we know that that's, that's what took place. He was laid in a rich man's tomb. And all of this was... Hundreds of years before his birth. All of these prophets. They would get glimpses by the spirit of God. Into the things of God. Into this coming Messiah. This, And they would write things like this. And, they would, and I'm sure they were perplexed by what it all meant. They were waiting, longing. Lived and died. Waiting to see what you already have. And having gone before us, a great cloud of witnesses. They can't even be perfected until we finish our work. They're waiting on us. Cheering us on. Amen. And the last three verses sums it all up. Although he was judged unjustly, it was all part of God's plan, like I said, to thwart the enemy's plans to kill all of us. And our life is found in his blood. Amen. The divine exchange. That's that's what we need to understand. 
That's what we need to understand. We need to learn. We need to, you need to make friends with the Holy Spirit. If you folks, if you if you've been saved, that's good. Some of you were baptized when you were babies. You need to do it again. Now that you know what you're doing in water. <laughs> But next, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't, it's going to be very, very hard for you to not only have revelation knowledge of all the things that God wants you to understand, but to understand how to receive the keys to the kingdom and all the things in the supernatural store that I'm talking about. Just uh, the example that I'm using today from the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have to consider the perfect work of the cross of Calvary. You have to know that it has been settled. That it was a perfect work in every way. In every regard. In every aspect. And it was all done for you. The focus has to be on Jesus though. You could have. Someone could tell you. Hey. Randy. He's the commander here. Far as I'm concerned, still is, always will be, <laughs> as long as he wants to be, in Jesus' name. But just an example, he's he's had the keys to this place for some thirty years or whatever. He could say, "Will you have access? Go on in to the VFW. Do whatever you need. I get here, that door's locked." I have the authority, but I don't have the access. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He he has all the authority. But you have to come to the understanding that the key is the cross of Calvary. And if you don't understand the amazing, perfect work of the cross on your behalf, you're never going to enter in. You're never going to partake. You're never going to understand. See, there is only... Joshua led, he's a type and shadow, uh, the Hebrews into the promised land, didn't he? He he helped them cross that Jordan. And we can do the same thing in the spiritually, spiritually, except it's Jesus now. He's leading us into the land of promises instead of the promised land. But there's only one way across that spiritual proverbial Jordan and it is a bridge made out of an old rugged cross. Amen. Paul understood something. He wrote a third of the one, about half of the whole New Testament. And he did a lot of it from a jail cell. And in Philippians 1.21, he said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I, I'm, I'm at a... I don't know what to do. He said, I don't know. Either way, it's good. If I live in the flesh, it's good for those of you who are still in the flesh. I can add to you. I can I can give you some spiritual instructions and revelation to continue to help you. And he, boy, he didn't know who he was really talking to, did he? He thought he was just writing some letters to those early churches. Wow. Thank God for Paul. He said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He knew that it was better. He had a glimpse. He, had, he saw some things when he went to the third heaven, which is where God is, that he said he, he wasn't even allowed to tell us right now. It's going to be awesome, folks. 
Do you understand the, what the implications of the resurrection are? Because Jesus is the first of many brethren. You're all part of that number. Amen. You are going to experience the resurrection life that Jesus did. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm closing here. This is good, because I don't think a lot of people understand about what's coming. We know Jesus is coming. I know He's coming soon. But what's coming for you? Well, you're either going to pass, He's going to call you home, and you're going to come back with Him, or He's going to come and get you. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just look at this for a minute. Look at the start of the 12th verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 12th verse. It's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. We know He has. Amen. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised, He's, he's mocking these people because they, they, they wrote Him a series of questions and, and, and things He's heard that they're saying and He's constantly uh, criticizing them and He mocks them and He gets a little... Um, <laughs> he gets a little funny about some of it. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. His death on the cross proved He was a man. That empty tomb proved He was God. There is no other religion in this world that offers a Savior. Every other religion founded in this world, whether it's Muhammad or Buddha or anybody else, they're still in their graves, folks. There's no power in that. We serve a living God. And that's what I'm trying to finish with here, is to get you to understand that. What verse was I on? If Christ is not... 18, yeah. 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, in other words, he's still making the case that if, if they're right about there's no resurrection, then it's all just ridiculous. What, what, his whole life spent preaching and them, all the disciples, uh, you know, being killed for, for, for what they're confessing and, and preaching. And, and it's all, all for nothing. And we, sh- above all people, should be pitied because it's all foolishness. But it's not. It's real. He said, if, if, Christ we have, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits... The first one, you see, of those who have fallen asleep. He's he's not the last one that's going to be raised from the dead. All of us are who believe. Amen. Amen. Look down to verse 35. I'll try to skip down. Yeah, okay. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? 
You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now listen folks, I've been talking about seeds long enough. You get it by now. You get some of it, don't you? Everything in the kingdom of God is a seed. I've talked about it and talked about it until you you, you start feeling like farmers after a while. I know. But here's why. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. In other words, when you plant an, uh, an acorn, it doesn't sprout a big acorn. When you, right? It's a beautiful oak tree. But a tomato seed doesn't sprout a big oak tree, right? It's going to reproduce after its own kind, but not the same body that was sown is going to be manifest. It's going to be bigger and better and more beautiful. And he's saying the same thing about you. Where was I? But God gives it a body as he has chosen... And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. These are he- there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars for For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And there is a natural body, there is also, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But if it, not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. In other words, we sow this body... And it's not the body that shall be. Each seed has its own body. But when it is sown, when it is offered, when it is planted, God gives it a new body and we're going to get a glorified body. We're going to be, we're never going to be weak. We're going to be strong. We're never going to be sick. There's not going to be any sin. We're not going to be confined. We don't know yet. The, the, how amazing it's going to be, but it's going to be eternal. You know, Jesus had His glorified body, and so when He was walking with the, the disciples on the remote road to Emmaus on the day of His resurrection, they didn't recognize Him for that whole several mile walk. Until He broke bread, and then they realized it was Him. He was in a room with the disciples. He walked right through the wall of a locked door. I saw him do this in a dream when he came to me, or a vision, I don't know what it was, but one of the times when I saw him, and 
in the courtroom there. He walked right away and I was begging to go with him and he just went right through that wall. Who knows? It's going to be great. That's resurrection life. You know, we have a lot of benefits here in this life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't mean when we all get to heaven. We need to know that that's going to be wonderful. But listen, why wait? You can't have your glorified body yet. But the other two parts of your salvation, yes. One part is done if you really belong to him. You know, and I I don't mean any offense when I say that. You know, I saw a great man of God one time. He's passed on now, but he... (laughs) He was in a room of... uh, of believers, you know, in a in a in a conference, and they were they their Bibles and attentive and you know, not your Sunday nod to God crowd. And I was watching this old thing, and I and and he and he was just in the spirit. You could just permeating the spirit of God, and he said, "I I have come to speak to you." about something today that I've heard from the Lord. And he said, and I know that some of you belong to him. And when I heard that, I was like, man. He just offended that some of them do. <laughs> but I'm telling you folks, you remember the parables from last week, starting with the ten virgins. There are a lot of people that are going to be left behind. And a lot of them are sitting in churches today around this nation and around the world. Keep your lap full. Be a good steward of the gifts that God has put into your life. Love God. Love people. Luke 24, I'm not gonna, Luke 24, verses 5 and 7. It's just another account of the resurrection. Can I just read those two scriptures? Luke 24, 5 and 7. And this is absolutely it. Luke 24. Women were looking for Jesus again, still. And as, as I'll just start back to the first. But on the first day of the week, just like the other script uh, passage started off, early at dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, these are angels, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember 
how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Why seek the living among the dead? And that's a powerful statement right there. Why are you looking in the grave for a living God? We have a living God. We're the only the only ones in the world that do. And that seems hard sometimes. And we wish because as a real believer, you love everyone. And you just want to make it okay. As long as they're good, Lord, just... Hey, it's not up to us. We didn't choose us. He he chose us. We didn't pick him. He he you know, he picked you. We don't understand that either. But man, it should humble us if nothing else. And we should want everybody to know about what we know about. And I know when you get on fire for God and you go out and you're so excited because you know it's just going to blow everybody away when you tell them what you found out and then they don't. <laughs> And you, and you get a little, you get, you get a little more closed mouth over time. But listen, that's why you need the Holy Ghost. Sometimes he'll tell you, "Don't say anything." Other times he'll tell you, "Now, now, go, 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 go." Here's your window. Here's your door of opportunity. I've, I've, I've made a way. I've opened up. I've, I've plowed their heart. They're ready. They're ready. Oh my gosh, well, I'm, I'm no preacher. I don't have a great sermon. What am I supposed to say? Tell them what He did for you. Yep. Ask them to church. When you get to heaven, if you'll do that, you're going to say... And, and sometimes it's going to be somebody that... Oh man, I know I ain't asking that person. I already know. I ain't going to endure that ridicule. I know that you know what. He ain't no good. And I ain't going to have him tell me I'm no good. You might put that person in tears if you ask them when God leads you to do it. And they might say, man, I, I just need to talk to somebody. I know everybody thinks I'm rough and tough and I, that I'm this big jerk. And he said, but you know, God's been dealing with me and I, I just don't know how to go about it. Well, come on, brother. I didn't either once. Just come to church with me. can't seek God in the things of the world. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. Doesn't mean we don't live here and that He doesn't want us to prosper and be in good health. He does. Came that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. But He's talking about a godly life, folks. He's talking about a godly life. You've got to turn off some of the things of this world. You've got to watch out what's going on in these eye and ear gates right now because it's imperative that you look up. Some of us have a lot of problems in this world. Some of us have had a lot of problems. Some of us are having a lot of problems. Some of us will have a lot of problems. When when the scripture says, "Be ye perfect," therefore as your heaven as your Father in heaven is perfect, and everybody freezes over that real fast and like nobody's perfect. What he's talking about is primarily our attitudes and relationships. Okay. And you can do something about that. Agree with God. 
and watch him work. Amen. Amen. He loves you. He is the risen king. And today is a good day to shout and praise the Lord. Can, can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to the risen king. I love you all. I hope you have a wonderful day. And I look forward to talking to you all and seeing you again real soon. Amen.